the Getting Better Now podcast, presented by the Golf Business Network, the show by golf professionals for golf professionals, profiling experts from inside and outside the golf industry to help you advance your career, make a lasting impact, and achieve your goals. Here's your host, PGA professional from St. David's Golf Club, Dean Candle. One of the phrases we hear all the time as golf professionals is something to the effect of to meet or exceed expectations in every interaction. Now, I know I've used that myself. It's an admirable goal and certainly a worthwhile mantra if we want to succeed in our positions as golf professionals. But how many of us have taken the time to find out exactly what those expectations are? What questions should we be asking during an interaction to get clarity on what our members, customers, our bosses, or club leaders really want from us? In this episode, we find out. And it starts with a very powerful but challenging phrase to use consistently. Three words, tell me more. Charles White of White Ridgely is an executive leadership coach who during a long and successful career, has coached company presidents, corporate executives, and CEOs to improve their performance on the job and create positive outcomes for their organizations. He coaches his clients to build a culture of integrity where leaders do what they say they will do and clearly define expectations and results. All the while, he's been a golf junkie and an active member of multiple high-end clubs on the East Coast. He's a friend, mentor, and coach to multiple golf industry professionals and understands the challenges that we face and where our opportunities are to build a successful career. If after listening, you're interested in working with Charles to become a better leader, you can find out more by contacting him, heading to his website at whiteridgely.com. I know there are some actionable takeaways in this episode for everyone listening, so listen closely. I hope you enjoy it. Here it is, Charles White. Charles White, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate your time today. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, good. So why don't we start out first? If you could just give us a little bit of background about your career and some of your experience, it'd be great to start out with that first. Okay. After college, went into the Air Force for five years, spent the entire time in Europe, where I managed to get in 1,688 rounds of golf <laughs> in, the, in the five years. I went from never played to four before to a five handicap, so that was a five years well spent. <laughs> 1,600 rounds of golf in five years. That's 1,688 <laughs> rounds, right. I kept every scorecard. Wow. <laughs> Then I came back and went to work for Merrill Lynch. I was with Merrill Lynch for 10 years as a retail broker. And the market went down from the minute I entered the market to when I left for 10 straight years. Not one uptick. Wow. Um, I left there and started a company called White Ridgely in 1982. And um, over the years progressed from helping people get jobs to helping manage their careers. And as it turns out, it's important that everyone manage their career actively. Yogi Berra used to say, when you come to the fork of the road, take it. That Mm -hmm. doesn't work for managing careers. Right. So it's something you have to consciously do. And the two main points in managing a career is doing a good job 
and making sure you have high visibility so that people are coming to you offering new positions and new opportunities versus you having to go out and find them. So high visibility is as important as ability. Mm-hmm. And so that's a very proactive approach then to um, building your career as opposed to kind of we're referring to sitting back and, and waiting for someone to knock on your door or the phone to ring. Ex- you say that. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Before we kind of move on and, and get into some of your um, your theories about success and things that you've seen work for people, going back to creating visibility, what are some ways that you've seen people become more visible in a certain industry? The the Are there areas that they're focusing on uh, more specifically, like just gaining a lot of knowledge within their industry? Is it being at conferences or, or ways that you're that they've built up that visibility that you could you could pinpoint? Well, you hit both points. Yeah. You you, right. you, you want to learn as much as you can about your industry and, and every year learn something new that makes you more valuable to the marketplace. And also make sure you attend conferences as many as you can to meet people. And the key there is just to get as many names and contact information as you can. Then you can always call them back. In conversations in those meetings, you want to make sure that you take an interest in other people. And the more interest you take in other people, the more interesting you become, which is the key. Mm -hmm. So really making that... Not necessarily networking, but relationship building, then you would call it, right? It's more two-way than just trying to collect somebody's business card so maybe you could ask them for a favor one day, right? Right. Well, you want to get the business card so you can contact them. Um, But building the relationships is obviously a huge key in being successful overall. Mm Mm-hmm. So... Okay, so building relationships, building knowledge. I think as as golf professionals, we all understand that those are key areas um, to help build our career. But you have some some points that I assume you've developed these over time um, based on your experience working with different clients. And just so we know, like, are there industries where you've been focused on more specifically in your in your coaching people in their careers? Well, in thirty years, we've covered almost every industry you can think of, mm-hmm. uh, including the golf industry. I spent five years working with the Golf Channel. Okay. Mm-hmm. And also NBC Sports. Mm-hmm. So I had a, had a lot of interaction in the golf world. Well, and also you have just personal background in golf. Obviously, you said you got into golf playing, you know, at one point almost 1,700 rounds in five years, but now at different clubs um, in different parts of the country as well. And, and so you've been around the club environment and golf pros uh, a pretty good amount, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah my, uh, the way I developed business over the years was on the golf course. So I would play golf with some executives, and after it was over and a few beers, I would say, can I come see you? I'm really interested in your company. And they would say, of course. And if they had a need for executive coaching, uh, 99% of the time we'd hit it off since we're, we were both golfers, and off we'd go together. Mm-hmm. Now, this is just kind of going in a little bit different direction, but I have, I'm curious about this. 
sometimes people that reach high levels may think that they're beyond coaching or they've made it to a certain point in their career without needing a coach or without asking for much help. Did, were there times where you had trouble connecting with people due to that being kind of a roadblock? Well, that's a really good point. In general, most golfers are pretty cool. So mm-hmm. when we play golf, one thing would lead to another. Normally I would work with them, but it's interesting Everybody can get better. The most secure people would hire me. The insecure people would be threatened in some way and uh, typically not hire me. So so I ended up working with a lot of really cool people who knew that they could get better. They were humble. And and that's one of the characteristics of of the most successful people, humility. Um, Typically, they're very humble and they realize that they were... They could get better. And and the other part was, normally I was working with a CEO or senior executive, and they were a role model for the people they worked with. So it was much easier for them to encourage the people around them to use a coach when they were doing it versus, I don't need a coach, but you might. Right. It's really not that much different than a member at a club wondering if they need golf lessons, but then you make the point that every player on tour has a coach. Right, so if if the one percent of one percent have coaches, then you know, the rest of the golf the golfing population could probably benefit from one too. Exactly, I think Bubba Bubba Bubba's the only one I know that I think does not have a coach, but I could be wrong. Yeah, I don't know if anybody <laughs> would have coached that, but he's he's unique in many ways. So he is a bit of an outlier. Absolutely. So getting into then. Again, these, from your experience, I guess these principles that you've seen work over time about success, I think you have three of them, three or four, if you just want to kind of go into that a little bit for us. Sure. Everything is pretty basic. It's like it's like a golf swing. There's, there's a few things you need to do right, and then you're in pretty good shape. Mm-hmm. So the three things I wanted to talk about today, the first one will only take a second, and that is integrity, which is to find a number of different ways, but doing the right thing at the right time for the right reason is one definition of integrity. But the part that's most important is doing what you say you will do when you say you will do it. That's the key. If you do that, people trust you. So I'll say that again. Do what you say you will do within the time frame you say you will do it. So for instance... Dean, if I say, can I borrow 100 bucks?" and you say, sure, here it is, when are you going to pay me back? And I say, as soon as I can, when do you think you'll get paid back? Yeah, <laughs> at some point, hopefully, right? Hopefully. <laughs> but we, we could, you could be thinking payday, and I could be thinking 2030. Right. So when you need to clarify, and the second point, it co- co- goes into um, what we're talking about, you need clarity so that you can hold people accountable. So if you said to me, well, I'll lend you the 100 bucks, but I want it on Friday, now we have something that is enforceable because when you come to me on Friday, I should have the money for you. So there's a time reference. I'm going to pay you back, and it's going to be on Friday. So there's a time frame involved, and there's clarity in that. If we don't have clarity in any agreement we make, then you can't hold people accountable. So the first thing 
is integrity. Do what you say you will do when you say you will do it. The second part is clarity. Be sure there's clear understanding of what the agreement is. And, and I think we've all been in situations as employees where our manager or boss may have expectations for us that we're being held accountable to, but maybe we didn't get the clarity that we wanted from our boss. Um, and I know, unfortunately, probably all I, all been in situations where uh, someone we're working for may not have demonstrated integrity. And the, we know that the trickle-down effect or, or the way that we may feel as employees uh, when we see that from a manager or a boss. So as you said, these seem very basic, but I'm sure you've seen over the course of your career that it, it may be basic, but you don't see that across the board. Right, right. And, and you bring up, absolutely, you bring up a really good point, which I wasn't going to talk about, but I'll talk about it just for a second. That is, for you to be successful, you really have to know a number of things from your boss who's defining success. So obviously, what's the job? But also, what does success look like, and how is he or she going to measure success? Also, what decisions do you make, what decisions do you make with your boss, and what decisions does your boss make, which you have input to, but he's making the decision. So it's really important to know the distinction between decisions you make, the decisions you make together, and the decisions he or she makes. The other important thing is communication. How are you going to communicate? And a lot of times there's miscommunication because there's not clarity, but also a sense of urgency is really important. So just for instance, if you and I are working together, Dean, I would say, if you really need me, call me. I know it's an emergency. If I get a call from you, I've got to pick it up. If it's something that needs to be done that day, then text me. And I know if I get a text from you, I've got it by the end of the day, help you with that issue. If it's more general or doesn't have to be done with any sense of urgency, then email me. So that would just be a system of communicating to make sure we're on the same page in sense of urgency because that's really important. And 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 that's great. As I think that a lot of us that are working at clubs, especially private clubs, we may have systems like that in place with our staff, but... Those of us that report to a board or a committee, a committee chair, well, that there can be a lot of gray area. I mean, one, there's there's pretty regular turnover in there's in those positions, so it's not like um, you're doing it year after year after year in a lot of cases, and you get used to a communication um, process or decision making process. But I don't think many of us are are sitting down and clearing that up with our committee chairs, like how. Which decisions would do you want to make? Which decisions would you prefer I make? And what's our communication channel? And that would be extremely valuable to sit down and get that cleared up every time we have a change to make sure that, that we're able to then meet their expectations and, and do our job as well as possible. So. Exactly. And, and the last part of, of managing your boss well is having a system where you check in to make sure, to your point, make sure you're meeting the expectations. You can't, a lot of people say, well, if I haven't heard anything, everything should be going well. That's not the case. You really need to check in periodically. I would say in the beginning of a relationship weekly, and as time goes on, you can make it more infrequently. But make sure that you are the one who is checking in. Don't wait to hear anything. 
simply how am I doing in meeting in regard to meeting your expectations? Mm-hmm. And, and a good way to get your boss to then clarify expectations if if he or she hasn't done that for you. Uh, I think being proactive in that case could be really beneficial for you in the end because you're not getting that that uh, mixed signals or that gray area where you think you're doing well, but maybe in his or her mind you're not. So Exactly. So, exactly. so we've hit demonstrate integrity. We've hit clarity. And, and we've talked a little bit about expectations. Um, right. Well, you brought that up. And managing expectations is is really one of the big keys to success. And in regard to that, we think you have seven clients. So you're your biggest client. Um, are you in the right job, doing what you want to be doing? Uh, that's a conversation you have with yourself and figuring out your own expectations. That's the number one managing expectations point. The second is your family. So well, how does your spouse define success for you? How, does you? how do your kids define success for you as a father? It's really important to sit down and have a conversation about what their expectations are in regard to having a relationship with you. So, as you know, time is is short, and so you really need to be effective in managing your time, and you want to make sure you're doing things people expect versus things that they, they, they don't need or want. Your third client is your boss. As we just talked about, you have to know his or her expectations. And then peers who you work with every day then reports people who are working for you. And then obviously you have a general manager or a board, they're an important client of yours. And then the membership is another important client. And uh, you also have obligations in the golfing community. So boards you sit on, uh, golfing organizations, uh, that sort of thing. Here's the issue. If you sat down with all seven of those, and said, okay, in, in our relationship, what are your expectations to have a success? What would that be? If you added up those seven different entities, you would find that their expectations were much greater than your ability uh, to accomplish them. Right. So, if, you're, so <laughs> if you ask that question at work and they say, well, we want you here all the time, and then you ask your, your, your spouse and she says, well, I want you home all the time, you have a problem, right? Absolutely. So the three parts to expectations we just talked about. First, finding out what the expectation is. Then the second part is negotiating something that works for both entities, you and the other side. And with clarity, as we mentioned, get clarity in what the expectation is. And then go off. The last part is go off and meet that expectation within the time allotted. So... Find out what the expectation is, negotiate, and then head off and do what you've agreed to do. But let me ask you a question, Dean. In negotiating, who has a little bit of an advantage, the person who puts their cards on the table first or second? Second, right? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So as so, if you remember the old Socratic method, the best form of communication is asking questions. So you always want to find out, and it's an acronym that you all can write down, WITTY, W-I-T-Y. You always want to find out what's important to the person you're chatting with. So if I was talking to Dean, I would say, Dean, what's important to you in regard to this podcast? And you would tell me. Mm -hmm. 
So witty, W-I-T-Y, you want to start off every conversation, whether it's two people or a team or a group or a, a team, regardless, excuse me, regardless if you have a gender or not, by starting off today, our topic is X. What's important to you in regard to the topic and what shall we leave with or end the conversation with that will make it a successful interaction? You need to clarify that up front. That is witty. And if you do that in every communication with anybody, you're going to start off on the right foot. So many people go to meetings, and the majority of us think they're a waste of time, and uh, there are far too many of them. The reason for that is there's no clarity in what we're trying to accomplish during that time. So so that's, that's the key. So witty. And the second and last acronym I'll give you is LPGA. And uh, you're familiar with LPGA, of course. Yeah, but I think this, this case, means something different this time, right? It, it does. So when you ask what's important to you, L stands for listen. Really listen. Don't be thinking about what you're going to say in response. Really listen to what they say. P stands for probing questions, for clarity and more information. When someone says something, a lot of times we just respond. But we really don't have enough information to respond effectively. So ask some probing questions for clarity and to get more information. When you've done that, then GA, L-P-G-A, GA stands for get affirmation, which means repeat back to the person what you think they meant. Many times they're not clear in what they mean, and a lot of times you don't hear exactly what they meant from your perspective. So you need to get clarity. Uh, Once you've done that, or excuse me, let's back up one step. Mm -hmm. Um, when When they've given you the answer to a probing question and you still feel there's more to know, you want to say, please tell me more. And that phrase, please please tell me more, is so impactful and you can use it every time someone makes a statement versus asking a question. So when someone makes a statement, you have two responses. The first response is the easy one, which is, great idea, let's do it. There's no negotiating. Right. But if you can't say great idea... You want to say, please tell me more. So in life, there are two responses to a statement. Great idea and please tell me more. And it sounds so easy to do, but you'll find when someone makes a statement and you don't agree, you can't say, great idea. For whatever reason, you're emotionally involved because you don't agree with what the person is saying and you have a tendency to say things like, well, that's going to cost too much, it's going to take too long, the quality isn't going to right. be right. There's going to be some issue. This is such valuable information. I think for those of us that are dealing with members, um, committees, and boards on a regular basis, it's really, our, our job is based on meeting their expectations. So, yes, it seems basic that, of course, we, we want to do that. Of course, we want to know what's important to them, but how often are we really asking that and drilling down and, and finding that out? I think the, the best example for us as golf professionals where we do this more often is in a golf lesson or a club fitting where you, know, you're, you might stand on the range for five or ten minutes and talk to your student about what their expectations are, what's important, if it's a lesson 
why they're there and what they want to see improve in their game or a club fitting. What are they looking for? Do they want to just hit their driver farther? Do they want to hit more fairways? That That's where I think we're trained to do this on a regular basis and, and we're doing it. Now, where we may not have that are in interactions that we're having, let's say in a committee meeting. And after hearing you explain this about the two um, the two answers to every question are either great idea or tell me more, I can say that I went into a meeting recently after hearing you explain that to me, and it was the hardest thing <laughs> to do to not um, to, to ask tell me more when you feel like you have the answer to the to the question or you have a better solution. But and so it's instinctively you just want to give the answer, right? Right. And the thing that I never stood about um, witty and LPGA that get affirmation part is so important because when you say, Mister Smith, are you saying that what's important to you is boom the boom the boom the boom? It's so powerful because that person now knows that you know what's important to them, and you care. And and that goes a long way in building trusting relationships. Typically in a conversation, someone will say X, and the next person will say Y. But there's no appreciation or a real understanding of what X said to start with. So that LPGA, listen, probe, get affirmation. That get affirmation I never thought was that important, but it turns out it's the most important thing. The other side knows that you know what's important to them and you care, which means when you go to your when you go to your what you'd like to do uh, or suggest, they're much more ready to listen to what you have to say versus throw up roadblocks immediately. And in this business, what, what could be better than meeting your the expectations of the people that that you work for every day and building relationships where they feel like you understand what's important to them and and that you're on your side trying to do what's right for them. I mean, that's, I think if there were success in a nutshell, if we did those things every day as golf professionals, I'm not sure you could fail, <laughs> right? Well, I mean, it'd be harder. It would um, be harder, right. I'm, there are ways you can, but but to make people, people feeling comfortable in their relationship with you and you're meeting their expectations, it certainly sets you up for success. We'll put it that way. Right. And, um, I'm going to do this quickly. Uh, maybe we can explain this in another podcast um, another time. But when you get to the point where you've heard what they've said and you know why they said it and what their reasoning is and you still can't say great idea or some form of affirmative, great, let's try it or whatever, you have to ask yourself four very quick questions. And this has really helped me in my life. The, very, uh, the four quick questions are these. Number one, do I really care? And I found out in life, if something is really important to someone else, it's probably not going to be as important to me. So I don't really care. So I'm much much easier for me to then go back and say, well, let's give it a try or whatever, something affirmative. If you care, if you don't care, you just say fine. If you do care, you go to the second uh, question, which is, do I have any control? And if you have no control over the situation, you might as well go along with what's being done because there's nothing you can do about it. But if you do have control, you go to the third question, which is pick your battles. 
The issue with being really, really smart is that everyone else isn't as smart. So you have, you have to be careful in picking your battles, particularly if you're very intelligent and you see things more quickly than everybody else. Um, but if you want to fight the battle, then you go to the last question is, do I have the resources to fight this, to, uh, fight this battle? And again, if you don't have enough resources or money in the bank or whatever, it doesn't make sense to have a battle. You can't, it's no use starting a war unless you have bullets. But, so those are the four questions you asked very quickly. Do I care? Do I have any control? Do I want to fight this battle? And do I have the resources to fight this battle? And if you get four yeses, then, as we mentioned before, as Socrates would do, you ask another question, which is, um, could I give you a different way to look at this? Could I give you a different approach? And because you've listened to them and LPGA'd, then they're probably going to say, well, what? And then again, a question. Have we ever thought about? Would it make sense to you? Could we try? And and you put your idea on the table. So now you have two ideas. And typically in life, you can negotiate through that, give up a little, take a little, and come up with a solution that works for both sides. And, And then again, get clarity in what you've agreed to and then go off and do what you've agreed to do. So get the get their uh, expectation, negotiate effectively with clarity, and then do what you've agreed to do. That's managing expectations. And so the challenge that we face is to continue to ask ask these questions until either you can say great idea or you get to the point where after after Going down the four points of do you care, do you have any control, do you have the resources, only at that point are you jumping in to say, have you ever thought of it this way, or could we try this, or have you ever thought of of this? Exactly. So Exactly. I I think that's a challenge for everybody, um, but one that could be so valuable uh, to building better relationships because oftentimes it's so easy to jump in, especially if – at a club, if we're the resource for golf information, so a lot of times people may come to us just looking for an answer, but being able to train ourselves and get in that habit to ask those questions, I think could be extremely valuable and set us all up to be continually meeting expectations. As I said, I think that's a great way to help ensure success in what we do every day at the club. So. Right, and the, and the one part, the, the sticky wicket in, in, in the whole thing is when you're negotiating and you feel you're getting the short end of the stick, you feel the other person's not coming far enough your way uh, in regard to whatever the topic is, um, ask yourself, who's making the decision? Right. That's why knowing what, who makes what decisions is so important. If you're talking to someone who reports to you and you haven't given them that decision, then obviously you're going to end up doing it your way. You will explain why. Um, You're not going to do it their way. You'll explain the reasons, but you're making the decision. If you are talking to a boss or a board and they're probably making the decision, um, once you've presented your thoughts, they don't go along with them, it's no use beating a dead horse. Just let it go because the longer you push for what your idea is, if you're not making the decision, you're just becoming kind of a pain. Correct. Right. 
So knowing who's making the decision is, is really important in every negotiation. Great information there, Charles. I think uh, everybody now should should walk away with some truly actionable information, things that they can take to work tomorrow uh, and into the future about demonstrating integrity, getting clarity and managing expectations first and foremost, and then really being able to go through this process of finding out what's important to the people that are around us uh, and managing our seven clients, going through our our new definition of LPGA uh, for us golfers out there. But this is all great information, which is why I was excited to have you on, Charles, and, and be able to go go through this. And I'm hoping we can do it again at another time because I know you have a lot of experience and a lot of valuable information for people. So hopefully we can do it again. Thanks. It's been a lot of fun chatting with you. This was the Getting Better Now podcast presented by the Golf Business Network. Head over to iTunes to subscribe so you don't miss an episode and be sure to rate and review while you're there. For more information, go to golfbusinessnetwork.com.